Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. I'm glad that you guys are here. I'm glad that you're joining us online, and thank you for bringing us into your homes. And for those of you watching in the Philippines, because I know you do, Maganda Omaga. I'm glad that you guys are, are with us this morning as well. My name is Pastor Carlos, and I just want to, I'm just so excited to continue in this series called Hold On. And, and as we get into this message this morning, I want to tell you, I want to share a story that I shared, uh, that I just heard this week uh, about a U.S. aircraft carrier that was in, out in the open ocean, but heading on a collision course. So the captain gets on the radio and, and, and the captain says, please divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid collision. And the person, the party on the other line, gets on, the, on their radio and says, negative, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees south to avoid collision. So the captain gets on the radio again and says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The other line says, no, negative. I say again, you divert your course. Captain finally gets on the radio and says, you know, this is the aircraft carrier, the USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That is one five north or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of our vessel. The person on the other line gets on and says, this is a lighthouse. I repeat, this is a lighthouse. That's your call. And what you hear from the story is what you would call, and what this captain experienced for the first time probably for somebody that powerful, is that he experienced a paradigm shift. It is a fundamental and important change that happens when our usual way of thinking about something is replaced with a new way of thinking, and oftentimes abruptly. Have you ever had that happen? That you're so sure about something only to have your mind blown when you find out that you're wrong? Anybody ever experienced that before in your lives? How does it feel? I've never experienced that, so I don't know what that feels. <laughs> Lightning strikes right now. So I want to share a story with you that, that speaks about one of the most historical and watershed moments in New Testament history. It is a paradigm shift, and it comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10, and it tells a story about this guy named Cornelius, and I love that name because it's fun to say Cornelius, and the disciple, the apostle Peter. But before I get into the story, I think it's important for us to understand a couple of just real basic things. Like, you know, we call the four first books of the Bible in the New Testament the Gospels, with uh, plural, right? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they call them the Gospels because it, it recounts the story of Jesus, his ministry, and how he obviously was crucified and resurrected. So they call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as opposed to when people say, we got to share the Gospel which is just singular, which is that's basically when we share the story of Jesus called the gospel. First four books of the New Testament, the gospels. So the first book of the, of the New Testament, the, the book of uh, Matthew, was written for a Jewish audience. And the gospel of Mark was mostly written for a Roman audience. Now the gospel of Luke was written for a Greek audience. And that's important because as we get into the book of Acts, guess who wrote the book of Acts is Luke. And so we can look at the book of Acts as, I would say, like Luke part two. So because, of course, Luke goes through the life of Jesus in the gospel of Luke, right, in the first four books of those. Then he writes about the early church and its beginnings now in the book of Acts. So it's a continuation. The book of Acts is a continuation of Jesus' ministry, but now it's Jesus' ministry after the resurrection. So I think that's important for us to, to know that. 
And we also know, because we are a continuation, that Jesus is still moving today. So I, I guess you could almost say that we are a continuation of Acts. Maybe Acts chapter 2, 3 or 4 or one of those, right? So in Acts chapter 10, as you open up your Bibles, I'm giving you times to guys open up your Bibles, open up your Bible apps, because we're going to stay in that chapter the whole day. Uh, not the whole day. Well, man, hopefully you guys can take it home the whole day. And what we see in this paradigm shift is we see that God can reach people that some would think are beyond reach. And I think it's so important for us right now because oftentimes we get so caught up in what we think is right and what we think is wrong and we draw these hard lines that we fail to recognize the work that God wants to do, first of all, in us and through us as believers. In fact, history is filled with unlikely people that find Jesus. I am one of those. And I will tell you that I'm one of those because when I meet people that knew me maybe 35, 40 years ago, that's how old I am, maybe 30 years ago, I'm not that old. But anyway, I meet a lot of people that I haven't seen in a while, you know, high school people, all that kind of stuff. And when they find out I'm a pastor, they just kind of stay quiet, kind of like, uh, but I know what they're thinking. They're like, you? How? I mean, really? Uh, they don't believe it, right? And some flat out say, no, that's, you're, you're kidding. Uh, but isn't it great that, that God has a plan? And I love how God orchestrates not only the fact that he saves people, but by the means by which he goes to, to get people to know him. I mean, it tells us there is a perfect plan out there. My encounter with Jesus was part of that. And, and some of these stories that I can share with you of people that I've encountered and been, was able to share, Jesus was complete divine appointments a lot of the times. So in Acts chapter 10, we have the story of this conversion of this guy named Cornelius, who was a Roman military man. They called him a centurion. But one could also say that Peter, the apostle Peter, had a conversion as well, but it was from legalism to grace. You see, up until that point, Peter still was a little hesitant. For Peter to have somebody that was a non-Jew, or in this case, a complete Gentile like Cornelius, come to faith in Christ, well, let's just say that Peter wasn't ready for that. So, so it's a pivotal chapter, and, and it's a first Gentile conversion in Scripture. And I would go so far as to say that it's a pivotal chapter for us because we are non-Jews. We're part of that Gentile group, Right? And it's also important to us to note that at the beginning of the book of Acts, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells them, but wait for the power that will come within you. Wait for the Holy Spirit, he tells them. And then he says, and then you will be my witnesses. And he tells them where to go. But ultimately, he says, but you're going to go to all of the nations. So imagine being a disciple thinking that it's just for the Jews. But Jesus is now telling you it's for the entire nations. Like I'm supposed to look for just Jews throughout the entire nations? What about everybody else? So Peter here is a little hesitant, and it's a pivotal moment. So let's open up the Bible, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. The Roman army was comprised of legions. Each legion was about 6,000 men. And legions below that were comprised of cohorts, and as the scripture here calls them regiments, and each one had about 600 men in each regiment or cohort. And then there were centurions below that, and the centurions each had about 100 men to their, to, to, I guess, to, to, the, to their group. So there was basically six centurions for every regiment. And according to history, it was the Roman centurion that really was the backbone of the Roman discipline in the army and the success of the Roman army. 
And some reports of centurions is that, that they were adventuresome, that they were go-getters, that they were fearless, unafraid. And at the same time, that they had this very steady character because they were trained that way so that they could face a variety of subjects. Something else that's interesting about centurions, especially in the New Testament, that every time you tend to read about a centurion in the New Testament, they're always casted in a positive light. You know, they seem to be willing towards the things of God and the people of God and, and faith. And one of those examples in New Testament is that there was a centurion in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was, you could say, was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry when he ministered for three and a half years. And that synagogue that was in that city of Capernaum was actually built by the financial means of the centurion, of one of the centurions in the city. So on to verse 2. It says that he, talking about Cornelius and his family, were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, so again, it speaks favorably of this centurion. And here's what's amazing about this, about Cornelius. I mean, he, that he was a man of influence, a man of authority. And I think some of us may, may realize, because, I mean, I relate to that, because th there is some authority in this room. And at the same time, he hungered for God. Meaning that his position and his status and his wealth and his power wasn't enough to satisfy his soul. Isn't that interesting? So interestingly, it says that he feared God. Now, that could mean that he was just religious in general, but it probably means that he was, catch this, a God-fearer, which is a technical term. A God-fearer was called in Judaism as a proselyte of the gate. And a proselyte of the gate was somebody who believed in the God of Israel. In other words, they believed in Yahweh, and they aligned themselves with that covenant but not completely. So let, let me explain that a little bit further. That means that he would pray, Cornelius would pray to the God of Israel, which means he was monotheistic. He only had one God. That means he doesn't believe in the pagan deities and the, you know, all the entities in the Roman pantheon. And he believes in this monotheistic God of the Jews, which is number one. That means he's also allowed to pray, which means he's allowed to go to the synagogue, but his privileges stop when he tries to enter the temple to offer temple sacrifices. And that was because he hadn't gone through the entire ritual of circumcision. And you can imagine that many Gentiles who were adults at the time who wanted to believe in God and the Jews would come and say, you must be circumcised. That would be, but I'm not eight days old. So they would say, no, thank you. That's where I stop. So they were called proselytes of the gate as opposed to proselytes of righteousness who were people who went through the entire ritual to be able to have all those privileges, if you will. So Cornelius here, he's drawing near to God. He's a regular prayer warrior, and he gives generously. Now check this out, verse 3. Can you guys believe we're only in verse 3? One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now in Judaism, some of your translations may say the ninth hour, which the ninth hour equals 3 p.m., which is also the hour of prayer. So no doubt that that was his typical time to pray. And then Cornelius stared at the angel in fear, and he says, What is it, Lord? he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
So when he observes the angel, of course, he was afraid. So think about that. We have a seasoned soldier trained not to be afraid, and all of a sudden he's in fear, which I think we can all relate to because if we were to see an angel, we'd be in fear as well. And then verse 7 says that when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything, and then everything that had happened, then he sends them over to Joppa. So don't miss this. Cornelius is seeking God and discovers that God has been seeking him all along. So what we're seeing here and what we're going to get into is that God is unfolding this very elaborate plan to get somebody who has this deep interest in the things of God and God recognizes it and uses Cornelius for this very important, pivotal watershed, important time in New Testament history. And what I don't want us to miss is that if we want to get used by God, that there's a few things that we can work on as well. Fear God, pray fervently, and give generously. And again, this is not a formula for success because we know that God can use anybody, but if we are seeking God fervently for the things of God, God will work with that. And remember, the plan is to get Peter in front of him to share the gospel. Remember the gospel, to share the news of Jesus with him. And that's what we're going to see. This whole elaborate plan is to, to get Peter, who's 35 miles away in the city of Joppa, down to Caesarea to have an, audi- an audience with him to share that gospel. Now, think about this. I think this is another good point for us today as well, that we know that Cornelius already fears God. He believes in God, he prays to God, but yet he's not saved because he hasn't heard the news of Christ. And because he shows an interest in God, God is going to make sure that he hears the entire truth. And this is important to us because, you know, oftentimes our, our modern day philosophy that you may hear around your circle sometimes in some form or fashion is that if it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely, And if you're sincere in your heart about what you seek, whatever form of God you call God, that's enough for God. And I think the story is telling us that, no, it is not. God wants everybody to hear the entire truth. So don't try to go out there and change somebody's belief system or tell them about Jesus because if they believe in it, then who are we to tell them that what they're saying, what they believe in is wrong? Meaning they can believe what they want. But this is a story that challenges that. God wants people to know the whole truth even if it doesn't line up with what they believe. And this is also partly encouraging because oftentimes we think, you know, the big question is what happens to people that may never hear the the name of Jesus? Uh, Will will they be in heaven? You know, we get some big questions out there. Well, this story also shows us that God is always going to provide a way for people to hear the truth about Jesus. Even when we just kind of like what we're saying, even when we don't know he's still working, Right. Even when we don't see it, he's working because we understand through the story that God is ahead of us. And here's a guy believing in God, sincere, and God's going to make sure that he takes it to that next level, to that next step, and that he hears the whole truth and that he's going to do it through Peter because Peter needs some of this as well. So the next day, they went on their journey and they they drew near the city. And at that time, Peter goes up to the house stop to pray. Now, this is about the sixth hour, which translates to basically noon, lunchtime. And this is what verse 10 says. He, Peter, became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
he saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Basically, the translation is, Peter, see all those animals that you're seeing there? Go ahead, you're able to eat them. So now we're in the city of Joppa, 35 miles away. It's lunchtime. Peter goes on the roof. He has a vision, and he sees a vision of food, which to me, that's pretty cool. If God wants to talk to me, that would be a great to do it. And he falls into a trance. He sees this food that probably for us would be amazing to eat, but for a Jew, well, that's just not, that's just not something that he would eat. And the voice tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So it's a shock to his system. And I think he uses a vision of food is because Peter was hungry at that moment. So God is always relevant at the, for us at the time. And also because we all know that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? We, so that's probably what he used as well. But again, that, that, that what he as a Jewish person uh, would eat, he was not accustomed to that. So he's seeing something totally different. But also the reason that this vision of food is because we knew and we know before that that Peter was hesitant. He was Jewish and he knows he's part of the chosen people. That's something that started way before that, 2,000 years before. So he has this long history of not accepting people that were non-Jews. So again, Peter is hesitant. But there's this paradigm shift. So he sees this incredible vision of these things that he can't eat. And then what God is getting at really here is not that to change Peter's diet, it is to change Peter's heart. And I think that truth is underlined and is found in Galatians 3.28, where Paul says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Folks, right now, you would agree that there's two sides to everything, right? Oftentimes, very polarizing side. And this is telling us that we are all one in Christ. This is, I mean, I know we can agree or disagree, but that's not the point. The point is when we look beyond that and we flip the page on our Bibles, we see that God is ahead of us. So the Gospels, you see, removes the barriers. It removes the boundaries. This is a brand new covenant, a pact that he's making. It is a covenant, if you guys read in the, obviously, the story of when Jesus dies, that the veil was torn in two. And this veil is what separated people from, from this, this temple, right, the sacrifice. And basically, he tears it in half, meaning that he gave us access to get into that. And that's the, sim, the symbolism of that. So access is now permitted to God. And we're in that covenant today of the torn veil, which is a new covenant and a new way that requires how to reach people. So Peter's learning this lesson so the voice comes to him again in verse 13. This would happen three times and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I wonder why it happens three times to Peter. Every single time, poor Peter. And this is Peter's reply. Here's why he had to hear it three times. This is his reply. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. There he is. There's a Peter that we all know and love. The Peter who instead of saying, yes, Lord, what is it? Whatever you want, he says, no way, God. Now compare that to Cornelius who says, speak, Lord. And Peter is like, no, thank you. You know, we know this isn't the first time for Peter. Because you guys may remember a very obvious, famous time where Jesus says, you know, tonight you guys will all desert me and run for the hills. And Peter is the one that says, not me. Surely not me, Lord. 
You know, and, and then there was a time when, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and he gets to Peter and Peter says, no way, man, I should be washing your feet. And, and so, so Peter's always the guy who is resistant. He has a mind of his own. And on one hand, I admire it. On the other hand, I can relate to it, unfortunately. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, again, this was done three times. And then that object of the four-footed animals in that sheet is taken back up to heaven. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, which I would be as well, and, and I love that about Peter, that he was, he was a thinking man. You know, he's probably wondering, well, that was weird. You know, what, what, and he's processing it. And, and behold, verse 19, it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. And here's, this, here's an important scripture. Do not hesitate, Peter, to go with them. I know how you are, for I, God, have sent them. So then Peter goes down to the men, and, and he sees them, and he greets them, and, and he says, those are the men from Cornelius, and he says, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Now, what did God just say? He just said, do not hesitate. Go with them. Go asking nothing. And, and again, I, I relate to Peter. It's like, he forgot already. A voice from heaven came down and spoke to him and says, do not hesitate to go. And he's like, what, are you, what do you guys want, right? So Peter brings the men in eventually for, in from Joppa. And there were some guys there from Joppa. Peter says brothers, the Bible calls them, that, that were with them. And the following day, they left for Caesarea. They, they entered Caesarea where Cornelius is waiting for them. And Cornelius now has his entire family and all of his relatives gathered waiting for Peter. Now, here we have two worlds that are about to collide. And I don't think you, I mean, it's hard to explain the importance of these two totally different cultures that are about to collide. The Jewish apostle of the Messiah and a Gentile God-fearing man, a Roman military man, but the grace of God, and here's what I want us to understand, that the grace of God is going to interact and it's going to intervene. So it's a pivotal moment. It's this milestone redemptive part of history. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and he fell down to his knees and, and started to worship him. And the Bible says that Peter made him get up and he said, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. And then he said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone pure and unclean. Now, what a thing to begin with. I mean, if you want to make friends, the last thing you should say to somebody is like, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, right? I'm not supposed to be with you people, right? That, that's probably not the first thing that he should have left with. But Cornelius says, come into my house, right? He says, just come in. We're glad to see you. Welcome, Peter. And Peter's like, I, I shouldn't be here. Then Cornelius recounts how an angel told him to send for Peter. Then Peter opens his mouth, which can be, at this point, a dangerous proposition. But, but here, he's under the control of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. So all of a sudden now, Peter is uh, becoming a little bit more humble here, I think would be the word I would use. He's a little more honest here. He says, you know, I'm new to this. I'm not good at this. I've never really thought about a Gentile uh, having faith in my Jewish Messiah. And now Peter would have remembered perhaps that at some point in the New Testament, he, he sees that in John chapter 10, 
Peter would remember this at that point in, where it says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus even then was speaking of non-Jews, the Gentiles. So Peter's honestly saying, you know, I, I think I'm figuring this out. Give me some time here. I'm getting the message that God is trying to tell me, and I'm starting to understand this, and I'm starting to perceive that God doesn't show any partiality. And I think it's important to note here, and it goes without saying because I'm sure you believe this and understand it, but, but there is no place for bigotry or prejudice in the Christian church. We can never stand before God with a, with a clear conscience and like while we're holding any, any ill will towards people of other ethnic groups or economic systems or different origins that just happen to be among us. I mean, we just can't. We, we just read about it. And what is interesting to me here is that as I read this, I immediately start to judge Peter. Because I see like, well, Peter, how can you possibly think that way? These are people. Yet here's a kicker for us. For me, this is my conviction that it took God to change Peter's mind and soften his heart. I wonder how many people could have gone up to Peter and said, you're wrong, this, this. But it took God to do it. And as you read on into the book of Acts, you're going to learn that there was other times where Peter was hesitant and had a hard time with this about being partial and legalistic. And I think this is important for us to understand right now because I think we're getting into this ideology, not with us, but especially of the people that we see outside of here, especially through social media, where if you don't believe what people post, then you're the problem. And we draw these hard lines without really searching for God's truth and understanding and what he would have us say or do. And I wonder how many of us take it upon ourselves to speak out against certain truths that are important to us without thinking we're going to change and thinking that we're going to change people's minds. Because this story teaches me that there's some things that only God can change. This story teaches me that God is ahead of us. And his truth, you see, is going to be made known. But he asks us to participate. But he asks us to participate with obedience like Cornelius and participate with grace like Peter and not with legalism and holding hard lines on the way things need to be. This also reminds me of another story in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this tells the story of the, the people in the church of Corinth where the, the Bible says that they were quarreling, that they were fighting among themselves. And it might have been a simple argument. I don't know how big it was, but it, takes that, it talks about people who are taking sides. And right now, a lot of people are taking sides on different subjects. And in this case, it was about people. Some people were saying, I like Paul. I like his teaching. I think he's a man. And some people were saying, I like this guy named Apollos. And, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were picking a camp, if you will. And this is what the Apostle Paul responds to them. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. In other words, he had a job, I had a job, we're just God's servants. And as the Lord assigned to, to, to each his task. And this is, I love this part of scripture. I, 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 this resonates with me because I, sometimes I get stuck in trying to make things happen. But it says, I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You know, our job as Christian believers is to plant seeds to water them, it's not to force things to grow. That is God's job. And I think it's a lesson for us to understand as we participate in God's kingdom, 
obedience, grace, plant seeds, water them, and then let God do what God can do, make things grow. Meaning I shouldn't take it upon myself to argue with people about non-essential things because remembering that God is ahead of us and we've learned through the series that God has a sovereign plan, that he is in control. And then Peter speaks up in verse 36 and he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all? And at this point, Peter starts to recount that, hey, you know that, that the word that was proclaimed throughout all of Judea, that began in Galilee with the baptism when God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went out throughout and he healed people and he was doing all these amazing good things. And Peter said, well, I'm here to tell you, that's the guy. That was Jesus. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. We're witnesses to that. Jesus is God's answer. So it takes this elaborate plan of this vision coming on for Peter of unclean things for Peter three times, 35 miles away, from a guy to, for a guy to hear the message. Cornelius needed to hear this message. And this Cornelius guy, he had to see an angel to get the guy up from Joppa to come down together to be able to tell him all that. I mean, it's a, and then he tells him the simple message of the gospel. It's simple to us because we know the story now. And then while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit, again, paradigm shift, mind blown, what? What do you mean the Holy Spirit is for them too? It was poured out even on the Gentiles, it says, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then they asked them to stay for a few days. Folks, what an amazing story. I mean, th there's so many lessons in here. And I think the lesson's different from all of us, depending on what we may be going through, as we all try to hold on. You know, it starts with saying that Cornelius feared God, that he prayed fervently, and he gave generously. That means he had a mission. We all have a mission. This church has a mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. The companies you work at have a mission, whatever it is. You, I know you have your mission, written or unwritten, you have a mission. This story teaches us to hold on to that mission. Do not sway to the left or to the right. Think about it. Technically, Peter was right. I mean, all he had learned throughout his whole life, it was that he was right. He, he was a Jew, and he was the chosen people, and all this time, nobody else was accepted until this very moment. But it took God, and it took Peter humbling himself. You know, when we serve others, which is what we are to be doing, we should try to seek God and how he would have us serve people, even if we think those people are wrong. And I would also go as far as to say that some of these issues that we're facing out there today are very complex issues. They, they require a lot of understanding, and you can't solve them 160 characters or less. I mean, if they are truly the things that matter to you the most, then I would be like Cornelius and Peter to seek God to intervene. And you may find that he intervenes with you first. You know, the story of Cornelius and Peter, again, reminds us that God is ahead of us. And there is value in learning about other perspectives because it helps us to strive for God's truth. It helps us to seek and understand God's core truth. And we will discover 
that it's not always about the rules if it alienates, alienates others. But again, it starts with us being like Cornelius. And this is how this whole story started. Verse 2, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Folks, God's word is absolute truth. His word never changes. Our circumstances may change. You know, four years from now or whatever, it's going to be a different issue. But God's truth will never change. God's grace is constant. So I encourage you this morning, in light of this, flip the page on your Bibles. Realize that he is ahead of you and that that story continues. But that story continues through you. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Lord, there's so much truth that we will take home, and I just thank you for that. Thank you for those incredible truths that are found in this simple chapter, this historical narrative of people who needed a conversion, one to the full knowledge of the gospel of Christ and one from legalism to grace. Lord, with you, we understand that there is no favorites, that you will come into anybody's heart no matter what they've been through or what they've done, Father. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, and I just pray that if there's anyone here who has not surrendered to you, that they would surrender to you now. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you just want to surrender your life to God through this son, I'm just going to give you that opportunity. No one's going to be looking. This is just between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I mean, you may have gone to church or been coming to church. You may find yourself, you're religious. You may be doing all the right things like we heard in the story. You may believe in your mind certain things like Cornelius did. But you need to hear the gospel of Jesus that he died and rose for you so that you can have eternal life. And all he's asking from you is faith, belief, repentance. So if that's you... With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just want to surrender your life to Christ this morning, uh, no one's looking, but will you just raise your hand? See your hand, praise Jesus. You can put those down. Anybody else, praise God. Heavenly Father, you see those hands. My prayer, Lord, is that these people experience a life-transforming Jesus personally. Lord, that you would come and live inside of their hearts and that you would guide them and lead them and that you would change them. Thank you for making all things new. Thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters listening to the sound of my voice right now. May you minister to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.